lines on all thermometers. Two thousand surrounding us. We travel two thousand kilometers to hang out with us. What's up, danger? What's up, danger? Hey, didn't know they doubted us. Makes it that more marvelous. Sign them up 'cause I'm in this vibe and I get synonymous. What's up, danger? Hey, don't be a stranger. 'Cause I like how. Welcome everyone to another edition of Frame Rate. This is Patrick, and I'm here with Dan Ferlito. And we are so excited. This is one we've been wanting to cover for a very long time. It is a movie that is closer to my heart than almost any other movie we will probably ever cover on the show.、Uh, I think it's an incredible film. We're going to talk about it today, and that film is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse.、It、came out、uh, almost two years ago now,、um, which is hard to believe. And、uh, before we get into it, Dan, how are you doing today? Great. Yeah, it's having a good、me. summer summer Sunday. You know, yeah. As much as I can, I'm on a weird schedule where Sunday doesn't actually mean anything, but I am off today, so that's nice. And、uh, yeah, the weather's pretty nice. So, but trying to get outdoors and still social distance and be safe, but、uh, get stuff done. My garden's doing good. I I now fully understand why retired people have awesome gardens because they have all this time. All my shifts are、right. in the evenings, so I have all the mornings free, which is nice. You know, it's nice to have some consistency, which. Normally, my job does not allow, so that's been nice.、Uh, again, I feel for all the people that are struggling right now, especially because for me, it's been a little more like a vacation. But、uh, yeah, we're doing our best to do what we can to get the podcast organized and continue to provide content since we know it's really important、uh, for everyone right now. And、um, yeah, I think this will still be included on.、Um, we know our patrons that support.、Um, Frame, you know, Patreon, and get these frame rate shows. Normally, they wouldn't go out to the public. Again, we've made these available for everyone right now. Only, only the ones we've been recording this summer, and then、um, I forget if we decided. I think like next month we're going to stop that, and these will be available. But we'll go back to frame rate being for patrons only. So again, appreciate all you guys and your support, and appreciate you guys being generous and you know being okay with us sharing、uh, with everyone else for now, just to help out with the pandemic. So, yeah. yeah, seriously, thank you, thank you, patrons, for doing that, and, and also thank you for those of you who have joined our Patreon program since we've started doing this, which has actually been a pretty fair amount of people.、Um, we'll give you a formal shout out on our next recording because we want to make, make sure we, you know, say your name and everything. But I, I just want to just say, like, it, it's not lost on us how generous it is that during times like this,、um, when you're already getting something extra for free as just a listener of these shows. You're choosing to, even in that context, give us money, regardless. It's just, it really, it's not, it's not surprising because, like, we know the kind of people who are out there in these fandoms, but、um, it really means a huge amount to us, and it helps give us confidence that we can keep going with this stuff, even when times are crazy like this, because you know,、um, it, the pressure is felt by a lot of people.、Um, but most, I, I, I know you're going to. You were going to、uh, hand it back to me, out, so I'll just go with it.、Um, <laughs> having a good day today. Um, I feel like,、uh, for me personally, I'm in like a pretty good place with my like sort of world weariness and anxiety and nervousness today. I feel like the sun's out, the garden is beautiful, the flowers are popping. We were on a canoe all morning; it was really, really beautiful. And、uh, and I and I've had so many podcast episodes lately that have been dedicated to sort of verbally processing how we're doing right now that I feel like I'm in a place where talking about a movie. Feels like a little bit easier again, and and I'm just so glad that the movie we get to start this off with is Into the Spider Verse, which again is just one of my one of my favorite films easily of all time.、Um, so you want to start things off? What you saw it、uh, in theaters, correct? Yeah, totally. And you've seen it many times since then. I know that. What what's your relationship with Into the Spider Verse? So. I think I found out about this from you. Meaning, you know, I don't have my ear to the ground on a lot of things. I have like a Blade Runner Google notification just to double check that I'm not missing any big previews or releases, and keeps up with Denny Villeneuve and like Dune and all that kind of stuff, just so I can do my job for the podcast, just in case you guys miss something. But generally, Patrick and Jamie are more tuned into.、Um, Nerddom in general, <laughs> and so you guys kind of, and, and of course Patrick, which I'm sure he'll talk about it, but being a huge、uh, Spider-Man fan and a comic book fan, was very excited for this coming out. Whereas, like, I may not have even known that it was coming out because I'm sure was I was shitting my pants about this movie for、exactly. like a solid year and a half. <laughs> I was so excited, and I imagine from original idea to pre-production to post, this must have been a seven-year project or something like that. I mean, I was looking at the numbers of like how many animators they had, how long it took per one second, and basically all that data shows that it was、uh, 
three to four times as long as any other animated film or Pixar computer animated film. So definitely a lot of extra work. Anyways. And indeed, indeed, this was at least happening in 2014 because the first time this was like announced informally anywhere was the Sony email hack that happened in, in 2014 oh. where there were already conversations happening with the producers about this movie. Right. So that was the first time it was on anybody's radar at all. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I didn't find out about it until shortly before it came out. And Patrick was just so stoked on it. And and I'm, I'm like a, I don't know, three out of 10 comic book fan. Like I certainly grew up with some of my dad's kind of collections, all the classics, uh, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, kind of the, the, the big three, I would say. Um, I never got into X-Men or Marvel when I was little, which is why I'm a little more detached from all those films now. But you know, I do pick and choose which ones I want to go see. But I have to say that overall, I, I did read a lot of uh, Superman when I was young. But Superman, with some exceptions, gets a little boring because he's so powerful that it's kind of like, I, mean, I imagine that was also a challenge for the writers of that is like, how do we make this conflict interesting when aside from kryptonite, there's like nothing that can get in the way of Superman. And he's so powerful. What I always loved about Batman and Spider-Man, which were my favorite comic book heroes, um, was Batman, of course, is not a superhero, right? So he gives you this, I mean, he is rich and obviously very smart and dedicated his life to fighting crime, etc. But you get this feeling that it's like anyone could be Batman if they dedicated themselves and had those resources that much, right? Um, and so there's a cool feeling of connection there because he's a human and you can understand that. Um, Spider-Man, while the creation was all in all these different iterations of the character was always radioactive spider kind of, you know, the, the radioactive concept is very classic in comic books and has been done very many times. Right. There's like the guy runs into the, I forget which character this was, but guy runs into the back of a truck that just has a bunch of like barrels of radioactive waste. And then the waste dumps on the car. And then it's like, now you have superpowers, you know, like that's been done many, many times. Um, but what was cool about Spider-Man is that he was a teen, right? And he was like a skinny, white, nerdy kid uh, that was like, you know, not a jock and not popular, really smart, good at science. But like, he's a kid that your average kid can relate to. And he was imperfect and he had a girl that he liked. And you know what I mean? So I always love that, that Spider-Man is never, and, and he, he does mature over the years of the comic and does come into his own and of course becomes powerful even the original you know 60s spider-man um but i loved that every iteration of the character was always kind of this nerdy insecure kid and so as a kid you can really relate to that because it's not some superhero in in the classic sense of of, of the word like again superman's cool but he's a little difficult to relate to he's an alien he's all powerful so um yeah that was kind of my background connection to comics and to spider-man in particular um, I still have, Patrick was very gracious and sent me a copy of a Spider-Man comic that he had in Italian, but that's actually how I grew up with them until my dad lost most of his books in, in the house fire. It's uh, called Luomo, uh, what? Luomo Ragno. Ragno, yeah, right. Right, because in, in Latin, of course, it's it switches. Instead of Spider-Man, it's Man-Spider just because of the grammar. The Man-Spider, um, yeah. Right, right. Which um, there's, a there's a character called Man-Spider too, but that, so I'm sure. wondering in Italian, what, that, what would you say for that? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, well, Iranio Uomo would be the opposite, right? It flips again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what they called it in Italian in the comics since I, I, I don't think I read that far in. But oh, my point that. being that the original Spider-Man stories from the 60s that I grew up with, I read all those in Italian. So I never even had them in English or read them in English. So that was my connection. Anyways, so going into the movie, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't other than 2099, I don't think I read any of the other stories of the other alternate Spider-Man uh, Spider and women. Um, and so it was cool getting to know them because that was kind of my first time. Um, I'll, I'll admit that, so just going back to my first experience with it, I'll admit that some of the misprint color offsetting that they did on purpose threw me off a little bit at times because it some frames it can feel like you're watching a 3d movie without 3d glasses oh and that, totally totally and it tends to kind of give me a headache a little bit so i had to sort of get used to that and i got used to it in the theater during my first viewing but at first it was a little bit jarring of all the kind of cool animation techniques that i'm sure we'll get into that they use 
that was probably my least favorite, but I understand why they did it. And again, I, I understand the theme behind it. So um, yeah, but I, I remember really liking it. And then now I own it in 4k and, and I've seen it several times. I last Friday, a um, couple of nights ago, I set up my projector and the screen in the front on the street. And then I have this big couch thing, like a, like a, a beanbag couch. And I threw that down. And so I had like three little neighborhood kids, like with their toes sticking out all like super into Spider-Verse. I, and I even started it a half hour in cause I had already started the night before and, and the neighborhood was busy and running around and those kids were just glued to the screen and it was, it was cool, you know? Like, so yeah. So that's kind of my first experiences with it. Um, what about you, Better? Yeah, so so I so well before I even get into that, let me let me just before I forget, I want to bring up so the next two films that we're doing, because I'm going to forget this, are you know, Moonlight in 2001, Space Odyssey, right? And both of those movies were brought up quite a bit in connection with this film when it came out, because people compared a lot of those more psychedelic parts of uh, Spider-Verse to 2001's visual effects. There's actually a, a really great review where they talk about that in depth. And then Barry Jenkins, the director of Moonlight, was like the biggest fan of the Spider-Verse oh, and like, could not stop tweeting about it and talking about it and said it was like one of the cinematic masterpieces that has redefined for him what like movies are capable of. He was like a huge fan. So I want to throw that in there before I get back to the question. So for me, Spider-Man is, is really a huge part of my like identity, a huge part of my upbringing, something that I was really into when I was a kid. Um, and then when I sort of moved into post-adolescence and college and grad school and young adulthood, I kind of lost touch with that a little bit because it felt a little bit um, childlike to me. And, and not, not in the ways in which Spider-Man is childlike, which are really great, you know, but in the way that like uh, somebody who's kind of trying to leave that behind a little bit and be a little less innocent and a little less naive would leave it behind, you know. And then when I had kids again uh, and I was able to sort of get them into it, they they latched onto it like so hard, and I was like, oh my god, there's so much that I for I'd forgotten about why I love Spider-Man so much. Because like everybody else during the Nolan era, like like I, I couldn't talk about any superhero that wasn't Batman. You know, like I, I mean, I, I've and 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 I I follow many different comic books. I have a lot of different subscriptions to different series. So like, there's a lot of comics on my plate at, at any given time. But Spider-Man was in my early life the the main one that I gravitated toward above X-Men, above all the other stuff. And now I'm really happy that in the last, you know, seven years, he's kind of reassumed that place for me because it's, it's reminded me why that character means so much to me. And part of why he means so much to me is his childlike nature, which is specifically that he believes that good can triumph and he believes that doing the right thing is a valuable pursuit in and of itself at the expense of, you know, your personal life and at the expense of safety for yourself. But like, that it is a really beautiful thing to try to make the world better if you can, even if it's really, really hard, and to get back up when you get knocked down again, which is like such a simple elemental thing. But the reason, part of the reason why it is so simple and so elemental is because Spider-Man has been around since the early 1960s, and we've gotten really used to that trope now, you know? But, um, but when he came out, you're right, he was an avant-garde creation, you know, that Stanley and Steve, Gitt Steve Ditko came up with, this uh, sort of countercultural superhero a little bit, who was scrawny and small and nerdy, and when he got powers, he didn't become this giant, jacked, you know, super genius. He was still like this kind of scrawny but muscular kid who like, you know, wasn't this incredibly beautiful person. He'd like, you know, he looked like a kid still, just like, you know, like a kid who worked out. Um, and, and I love how even his powers are not extraordinary. Like something that you said that I agree with a lot about Batman is that we can all kind of see ourselves if, if the universe had tipped a certain different way for any of us, that we, we could have we been like that, right? With Peter Parker, like his powers are like he's super agile. He can do like really cool gymnastics, right? He's fast. He has web slingers, which he built himself, but he can but he can only use those because he has these other agility powers, right? Other than that, like that's kind of it. I mean, he can survive high falls. In some of the comics, he has a regenerated healing factor that's like accelerated a little bit. Oh, cool. But at the end of the day, he's basically just like a super athletic guy in a spandex suit who believes really, 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 really hard in the power of doing good. And that's, there's something super beautiful about that. To me. Right. And, and the concept of his powers was to scale up the powers that a spider has, right? Because when you right. look at nature documentaries and you look, it's like spider silk by weight is four times stronger than steel. Um, and spiders who jump, you know, the, the, uh, to scale how far they can jump, like all matches what, spider-man can do so that's really right, right. nature is where those powers come from you know which right he can't fly he can't he's not bulletproof he's just right. like really strong and really fast and can jump really high yeah and then and that, he has all these other problems 
Of course. Yeah. And just quick side note, I, I, I've been listening to lately this BBC podcast, which is only 15, 20 minute episodes called, um, I'll look it up, but it's like 30 animals that changed the world or something like that. Uh, 30 <laughs> animals that made us smarter is what it's called. And it's really cool because it shows how engineers in all kinds of different projects have been looking at nature to create like the shape. For example, one was on uh, the Japanese bullet train and they used a couple of birds actually to help them design that train. The front shape of the train is based on a kingfisher and its beak and head and the aerodynamics uh, and when it goes underwater. And then to get the train to be really quiet, they used an owl's uh, sort of feather dynamics. Uh, and oh, weird, to baffle the sound? Yeah, and so, so there are lots of examples of that because evolution has made all this really creative engineering when you really look into how spiders build their webs, how far spiders can jump, you know, how silk is designed, the genetics behind it. Um, and so that's an, that's an old thing that humans have been doing for a really long time. And so it's cool to see um, that's another detail about Spider-Man that's maybe a little bit different, right? Like Batman doesn't have like echolocation. Right. He, doesn't, he doesn't have specific bat skills. It's more of a visual. He's supposed to look scary. And that's, that's you know, he was supposed to prey on the uh, superstition of the common criminal, right? As it was written. Right, right, comics. right. And to but use Spider-Man's, the power of night to his advantage. Right? Exactly. Right? Spider-Man is like really taking the animal that the character is based on and just extrapolating it out and, and uh, bringing it in a bigger scale, which is a really cool right. concept. And indeed, most of his rogues gallery is is the same uh, the same idea, right? Whether it be vulture, chameleon, scorpion, rhino, like so many of his of his you know dog, right? They're almost all animal related, mm-hmm. which is funny because you would think that that would make it feel sort of like on the nose or or um, repetitive. But it, I mean, the the, the Spider Man has the best rogues gallery, including Batman's and all the comic books. His, his villains yeah. are uh, unbelievably interesting and new. That's true, and fascinating. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Peter Parker though. So I, I want to bring us back around again because this is Miles Morales' story. And Into the Spider-Verse is a very different Spider-Man film, right? There had been six of them before this. Um, some of them, I like, I think, I think that, you know, the, uh, I think Spider-Man 2 is one of the great superhero movies of all time. The Tobey um, Maguire one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I those think, first two were really good, especially the yeah, second one. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, the first one's great. Like, there were some huge hits. I'm, I'm actually a defender of the amazing Spider-Man, of the second one, I, I, which I know is, is a controversial opinion for people but i I think actually it's the underrated movie but um but spider-verse was something that was a completely completely different take on the it was the first ever time they'd done an animated feature film for this character it was the first time they had starred a spider-man who wasn't peter parker um it was the first time sony pictures had tried this in the age of you know the the marvel you know super film franchise where they had to come out with a different angle and the angle they chose for it was so brave and so off the off the charts interesting and the best people to bring on board if you want to try something off the charts interesting, in my opinion, are Phil Lord and Chris Miller because they are, they are a duo who have done a series of movies that have always been just vastly better than I would have expected them to be. Like the first time I saw 21 Jump Street, I, I, I don't even know why I went to it, but Micah and I, we were like looking for something to go see um, and it was like playing nearby and we're like, oh, let's just like check this out, you know. And I couldn't, I was laughing so hard. I couldn't breathe in that stupid movie. I like absolutely loved it. And same thing with the Lego movie. I was, my, my mind was blown by what they were capable of doing. So as soon as I found out that they were attached to this as producers, uh, I was sold on it like 100%. In addition to that, though, the character of Miles Morales is just one of those incredible success stories from modern Marvel that is so easy to, it's so easy to, to, to forget about how extraordinary that character's arc is. But he's only from 2011. And he premiered in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, I was going to ask you where the character came from. Yeah, and and of course, like especially with all the talk about diversity and inclusivity that's going on right now, like of course the fact that he's not white is great. And and yeah, actually, he comes from a mixed family too, which I'm sure you were going to talk about. But yeah, tell yeah, me more he's about right. His he's, origins. Yeah, Afro Hispanic mixed race kid from from the Bronx, from Brooklyn rather. Um, and uh, and yes, yeah, just a super interesting story. And he came about like around the time of the death of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Spider-Man continuity, which is not the canonical main continuity. So don't worry, he's not dead. But within the comic books, though, like basically Miles Morales came and elided with the end of Peter Parker. So like that was something that could have pissed people off quite a bit. And also comic book fandom is is interesting because it's a really diverse place. It's a really diverse place, actually. But it's also a place that's really hesitant and resistant to change a lot of the time. And Marvel did this thing a few years ago where they started kind of updating characters to be different genders and different races and different different ethnicities. 
um, to varying degrees of success. Yeah, but but almost universally to people being like, why why didn't you just make new characters, right? And and instead of like having to rewrite all the characters that already existed, because it feels more like sort of just lip service if you're doing that. And and I can I can see that. So again, that's a separate continuity. Comic books, as we will talk about momentarily, are really complicated because of the different types of continuity that are going on at any given time. And I'll explain why this works so well for Spider-Verse in a moment. But my point being that Miles Morales being like a diverse character, being a character who came at towards the end of another character's existence, a character who was like named basically like, I mean, he was, you know, Kid Arachnid, but he was basically Spider-Man, right? And now it's Miles Morales Spider-Man in the comics because he has his own line that I'm reading, which is really great. Um, so he had all these things sort of going against him being a popular character at the time because he could have played wrong against people's expectations or people's hesitancies or people's hangups. And yet he was embraced like right off the bat. People were like, oh my God, this character is incredible. And still to this day, he's one of the most popular Marvel characters. Even though he's like a duplicate, you know, in terms of he's another Spider-Man character. Um, and even though he uh, is like now, you know, in his own sort of universe that is shared with other characters as well. And it's very complicated. He's just an amazing success story in comic books. And Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli deserve just a huge amount of credit for that. Brian Michael Bendis also, I want to say, is I think the best comic book writer of the 21st century. So check out anything that he's written other than Warren Ellis. Okay, going back. So, um, so Miles Morales is, is, uh, is so well-suited for this moment and for this film because for him to exist in a believable way in any continuing fashion, he has to inhabit a multiverse, right? He has to be one angle of a multifaceted reality. And indeed, after he came out, there were a couple of Spider-Verse events in comic books that were these huge, huge, huge crossover titles where they basically brought all of these different Spider-Man continuities together and you had Spider-Punk and you had all these, just these crazy different Spider-People playing against each other. Um, and it was just so fun because the reason that even exists in the first place is that for comics to be written well over time, they have to adhere to certain defined rules within their continuity. And for that to make any sense without colliding all the time, they have to have separate continuities going on. So a comic book that's taking place in one continuity will have a really good sort of inner universe of organization and sort of pretend other things aren't happening. So if the world ends on like Earth 917, like one continuity, the Earth on 969 is still going to be okay because that's where this is happening, right? Otherwise, the world would have ended 25,000 times at this point in comic books, right? But what I love about this multiverse idea, the Spider-Verse idea, is that it takes all of these different things and it says, what if they just opened up for a minute and we got to just sort of peek into them? What would happen if we threw all these different buckets together? Um, and the comics that are happening now almost always incorporate some degree of this. A lot of them do. And I think it is just a wonderful treat that comic books, just like wrestling, you know, when it came, kind of came clean that it was like performance athletics, you know? Like as soon as comic books were like, okay, we get it. Like this is all... Like, this is all ridiculous all the time. And the only way it can make sense is if it's just sort of happening everywhere all at once. As soon as they came clean about that, the stories got better. So going back to the movie, the first time we saw it was at a preview screening, which was the first time I've, I've ever even scored one of these. Sony had some sort of a, I don't even know, I don't, maybe everybody got it. I don't know. But I, did you have a PlayStation account in 2018? No, I was an Xbox person did, until right? last year. Right. Then I got a PlayStation. So they sent something in like September that said, if you want to get complimentary tickets to an early screening of Into the Spider-Verse, you know, sign up. So, of course, I, like, didn't even, like, sit down. I was just like, whoa, 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 you know, like, freaking out trying to get these tickets. And I got them. And so I got to go with Micah and with my brother-in-law, Dustin, uh, and we sat down at a movie theater, like, before Thanksgiving. So this was, like, way before the release of the movie. Um, and holy shit, I just could, I could not get over how good it was. I do remember, though, like you're saying, that initial, I had that sort of ocular issue where there was so much information going on, and I didn't know if it was 3D or not, and I was like, am I supposed to, like, am I missing glasses or something? Totally. And then you realize that it's just that, just like the story is maximalist in this thing, it incorporates all these different things. The visuals also, you know, encompass universes, right? And that is part of why I think it's such a groundbreaking animated film is it says, you know, I'm an animated movie not because I want to just be for kids or not because I just want to be marketed that way. It's because I want to explode people's notions of what animation can look like and try something totally bizarre and off the wall that will work if the story works. And luckily for it, I think the story is absolutely astonishingly good. Yeah, uh, totally. I think it's captivating. There's not just not a second of that film that's boring or where you get pulled out of it. 
at any point, right? Both visually and the story, the dialogue. And, and that's the other thing about Spider-Man, right? I'm assuming probably in every iteration is he's really quippy, right? He's always, he's got a smart mouth and he's always quick to retort to like his, the rogue gallery or whoever he's fighting. Well, and almost every iteration. There's, so one of the great like weirdnesses in Spider-Man is that the superior Spider-Man, which is an ongoing comic, is where Doc Ock has inhabited the body of Peter Parker. And it, like the way you can tell that it's clearly not Peter's because he has like no sense of humor. And also <laughs> because in the early, it's actually kind of morbid. In the early superior books, uh, he's like decapitating people by accident. He's like, oh. because, because, and he realizes it's kind of powerful. He, what he does is, is like he at one point punches Scorpion so hard that his face rips in half. And he's like, he has this moment where he's like, oh my God, Peter Parker has been holding back every punch he's ever thrown. You know, pretty powerful stuff. Oh, anyway, cool. yeah, but, but you're right. The, a, a huge hallmark of, of, of Spider-Man writing is the humor, and the constant injection of humor and humility and funniness. Too. Totally, yeah. Um, and sometimes, I feel like sometimes he's breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience in the comic. And other times he's talking to the villain he's fighting. Other times he's talking to another character. But I, I've always appreciated that about spider-man because usually that role is reserved to a sidekick right like that's like even though robin has never done it as well like that's his job when batman and robin are there robin like says dumb shit or funny things <laughs> well because batman's so serious he has to be the straight character right or the straight man in the in the joke um whereas spider-man kind of does it all you know has a serious moments um and it gets emotional but also has this really fun sense of humor um, yeah, but, uh, you know, while it's fresh in my mind, I, I watched a few, uh, videos on like the making of it recently. So I wanted to bring up some of the animation styles and techniques, um, and just jump in whenever you want, Patrick, cause I'm sure you have things to add and are really familiar, but may maybe I'll bring up something new if you haven't seen some of these. Um, yeah. so one thing that really struck me, um, is that the creators sort of their through line and their, uh, messaging to the team of like 177 animators i think is a crazy number it was 144 okay yeah like they were comparing it like the original toy story had 27 just for comparison's sake um and they were like so what we want to avoid is making so on the one end of the spectrum right you can make this photorealistic with computer graphics we don't want to do that because we're not making a, a live action film and we also don't want to turn it into a cartoon so their mission frame by frame and second by second was to make this look like a comic book that had come to life in terms of the design style and the animation. And that's never really been done before. Um, and I think Patrick's mentioned it before how, and the creators mentioned it, how you can freeze frame any given frame of this film and it's clear and looks like a comic book panel. Um, you can see everything in the background. It's beautiful. They didn't use motion blur specifically in this, as opposed to other Pixar things. Um, they and they went back into a lot of like old Disney comics, and then all the Spider-Man comic, or sorry, Disney movies, uh, cartoons, and then all the Spider-Man comics to look at traditional animation and um, comic book techniques to try and emulate those in the film. And it, it's interesting that. Right. Because in the end, it's all photography. Right. We're talking about any film is a, a combination of or it's a bunch of still frames that played at a certain speed, create the illusion of movement. But none of this is movement. Right. You're all just looking at a bunch of drawings or photographs that are still. And then the frame rate affects how you see movement. So one of the things they did um, which I just learned about ones and twos is in animation, you can like, let's say the camera's moving, right? And so you have the background and then the foreground characters. Um, and if you animate them on ones, that means for every frame in the shot of the background, the character has a frame as well. And so as you see the frames click, if you were to show it in slow motion, you see that as the background moves, the character moves one step or two inches or whatever it is. Um, twos which you can see in like snow white and lady and the tramp um so kind of older animation style is actually when for every frame so it take for every two frames the background moves the characters move one frame and it creates this um it, it allows the image of the characters to 
sit on the screen for just slightly longer, right? And we're talking about fractions of a second here. So it's something that you don't even really notice actively until you're told about it. But what they did creatively in Spider-Verse, which I thought was really cool, um, the example of when they're stealing the hard drive from the lab and then they, and then Peter Parker and sweats and uh, Miles starts swinging through the trees and Miles, it's like his first flight almost. So he has no idea what he's doing. And so what they actually did is they animated the experienced Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, on ones. And then they animated Miles on twos so that he looked choppier and more awkward and gave you this feeling that he didn't know what he was doing. And because he learns the sort of classic, you know, thwip, like you can even see the onomatopoeia on the screen, which is beautiful of thwip, thwip. I love that. And I also love the bagel onomatopoeia. That's one of my, <laughs> I didn't see that the first three times I saw it, but, but when he threw when he gets the bagel thrown at him, it says bagel when it hits. <laughs> I did not notice that. That's it's so funny. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Little inside jokes like that. And they're all like for short, you know, just a few frames. So it's really easy. But they're, and they're all them. noticeable because of that lack of motion. Uh, we'll get right back to the motion blur. Really yeah. Good. But, but because it's so crisp, like there were, you know, one of my favorite subreddits is movie details. And for like the, the year and a half after this came out, like every day movie details, one of the top posts was from Spider-Verse because every frame has so much information packed into it, partly because it took so long to make, right? I mean, I mean every single frame of this movie was a, a huge work, you know, load in itself. And when you're spending that much time on one thing, you might as well throw in some, you know, Easter eggs. You might as well throw in some like little fan service things. But also because uh, it's just like, it, it's so easy to see the depth and layer of detail in every given moment you're watching it because nothing is blurred out and nothing is missing, you know? But and go, go back to the 12s and 1s and 2s. I'll finish, yeah, I'll finish that example. Um, so yeah, so again, they start out with Miles on 2s and Peter Parker on 1s. And then as the scene transitions into him learning how to web sling, and then he matches Peter Parker and through the second half of that scene, they're... Um, totally in unison and bouncing up and down and, and thwipping around the forest. Then Miles gets animated onto ones as well. And so he becomes smoother. And, and like, that's such a background indirect thing that your eye doesn't really know it's catching, but it works. Right. And you're right. It is a, even, you know, the story and the animation style is very maximalist. Like they are adding all these layers of things and making very specific decisions as to, how do we animate the city streets of New York with cars in the background? You could animate a thousand cars and then zoom out and you're going to lose all that detail. Or in their particular case, they, they just use light. They use light blobs to do what really what your eye does as well at night and where things just kind of fade out of focus and they just look like lights. Um, and so, so yeah. It's also what, what an illustrator would have done, right? In mm -hmm. comic book, you're not going to draw a thousand cars, right? You're going to just indicate it with dots of light. Exactly. And then, you know, same thing. So because they didn't use motion blur, they used um, that technique of simulating motion on a still frame by creating, for example, if someone swings their arm, they create two or three or four images of that arm um, swinging through the arc. And they actually- It's called smearing, right? Exactly. Motion smearing. Motion yeah. smearing. And they do it. So they literally took these- um, still comic image techniques and just applied them to the screen, which works because right, the screen, the, the movement is just a combination of still frames. Um, and then there's lots of other layers there. You know, there, there are plenty of panels where they throw in an actual hand-drawn comic book panel just for one frame or two frames. So again, something that's hard to pick up when you're watching the movie at full speed, but all of these layers really added up to making this amazing thing, which is what their goal was. You got to give them a 10 out of 10 on achieving this goal of, making it look like a comic book come to life. And that's just an incredible 100%. feat. And I would say not even making it look like a comic come to life only, but making it look like the experience of being a kid reading a comic book come to life. When you're, when you're a child and your imagination is just like, you know, like when you're up late under the covers of the flashlight reading a comic book and it's like, it's like you're in the middle of it. That, that's what Spider-Verse feels like to me every, every time I watch it. And we do watch this movie a lot in this household. It feels like I've dropped into my imagination as a kid reading a comic book. And it's just extraordinary. That ones and twos thing is used all the time throughout the movie and actually added a huge amount of work to this thing because different characters at different times, like you're mentioning, are either operating at 12 frames per second or 24 frames per second, right? For much of the movie, Miles is at 12 frames per second, which you know might not sound like a big deal, but he's operating in an environment, like you're saying, that's moving at 24 frames per second. So parts of him are missing. And there's that one scene that's actually on the back, I think, of the 4K um, release, but it was also in the trailer. And it's when all of the different Spider-Verse 
participants are up on the wall hiding from Ganke, who's down in his dorm room, and, and they're kind of moving along. Um, and that one scene took them like months and months and months to animate because they're all at different freaking frame rates. And, and oh, that wow. is such a testament to how incredible the worksmanship on this is. It would have been so easy, like so easy just to say, okay, this is stupid. We have five characters on the screen. We can just have them all going at the same you know, rate. But not only did they do it at the same, at different frame rates, but at different color gradients too, because of course they're colored like the comic universes that they come from. So you can't just throw a CMYK on the whole thing. They're actually graded differently too. And that attention to detail runs every single frame of the entire film before and after the film itself too, because the first time you sit down to see it, you're, it's, an, it's an immediate indication that you're sitting in something you've never seen before by the way it starts too, right? Which is when you have the logos come up, they're you know, drawn in every different art style you can imagine. You see 40 different short movies before you see the movie itself. By the time Sony Pictures Animation comes up, you know, you've seen that logo drawn nine times and you have Dan Daniel Pemberton's score, which I fucking adore so much in this movie. And it's giving you these glitches and it's giving you these great digital artifacts and these really cool sounds. Daniel Pemberton, a, a frequent Ridley Scott contributor, by the way, super talented composer, worked with um, producers for this score too, which is why I think it sounds like, like legitimate hip-hop-infused orchestral movie soundtrack music, you know? It doesn't ever sound like it, it's, it's trying to, like... You know, like, you hear a lot of things that, like, somebody like Brian Tyler would write. I'm not trying to shit on Brian Tyler, but, like, a lot of lesser composers will... Um, they will write something that feels like it's just sort of trying to sound hip or, like, it's just trying to have, like, a beat behind it, but it's really not written for that. Daniel Pemberton wrote this whole thing with this idea in mind that it has to be just as kaleidoscopic as the film itself and incorporate just as many different dialects and influences as the film itself. And he totally pulls it off. Um, and the soundtrack, I think, the, not just the score, but the soundtrack is similarly just, just incredibly good. Um, but yeah, right from the beginning, you're just treated to this just incredible wealth of information visually and, and uh, auditorily. And by the time the movie starts, I, 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 remember, I remember breaking this down for you guys when I first saw it, because I was going on about how I thought it was like one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life, which I still think it is. And I was mentioning how part of it is because with by five minutes into the movie, you know so much about Miles Morales and his family. Like you have so much information about this one kid and the world that he operates in because, you know, you have like, you know, 120 different shots and every single one of those 120 different shots is, is giving you a story, right? You, but from like the way that he's sitting in his room listening to Sunflower and he's coloring in his notebook, you know, doing the graffiti that he wished he could be doing in real life and he's running late for school and all the shit's all it's not packed up yet. And the way that, you know, Rio, his mother is like, is like rushing him, rushing him, rushing him, rushing him. And then when he leaves, she's like, oh, and she holds him really close and he's like running late. And the way his dad is the one who finds his laptop, because like this is, you, you find these things so much after the fact, you know, his dad is the one that finds the laptop and slips it into his bag, you know, because he couldn't find it when he's getting his stuff ready to go and his food's still hot. And, and then he's walking down the street and interacting with people. And every one of those interactions is meaningful. It's, it's just these lines of dialogue, but it's happening in a context that is revealing itself to you as you watch it. And it's happening so fast. And what that is saying is the filmmakers are saying, you are so smart, you're gonna get this shit. And you're gonna fucking stick in and you're gonna, you're gonna do it. And they're throwing at the audience from the very beginning, visuals that the audience has never seen before, a score that sounds like a glitchy orchestral thing that it's gonna take a while to get used to. All of these different things, crazy colors, and a story that's evolving so rapidly and the only way to pull it off is by making the characters feel like they're sitting next to you in the movie theater, you know? And for me, that whole film feels like that. It feels like the characters are just sitting with you. And Miles, I really think Shamik Moore does an amazing job with that voice of bringing this character to life. He just has all of the, all of the, the great parts of Spider-Man and that he's sort of nerdy and he, he's a really good person. He's a really awkward person and a really good person who is somebody who like, you would really love to like have in your life. And you can see, you know, reflections of yourself and him. Um, but also he's very different from, from Peter Parker, right? Like, whereas Peter's whole, you know, origin story has to do with his parents not being present, right? And he's living with his you know, aunt and uncle and then just his aunt. Um, Miles, like his family is everything to him. Like he has a very tight knit family and siblings we find out later down the road in the comic books. Um, and it's, a, and, and like his family, like every day they rise and they fall together. And his family is a huge part of these books too. I mean, Aunt May is an enormous part of Spider-Man's, you know, world as well as, you know, Mary Jane and everybody else. But for, um, but for Miles, like he has like a, a large, like distinct family unit that is present in his comics the whole time. And I kind of love that. 
Um, but also just like culturally, like he's somebody who can really comfortably navigate a world that Peter Parker would never quite fit in, you know? I mean, he's bilingual, he's, he's cool. Like he doesn't trip on himself when he does. It's intentional because he keeps his shoelaces untied because he likes the way it looks like just little things like that, you know? Um, and it's just like, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about in this movie that it's almost ludicrous to try to wrap it into a 45 minute conversation, which is, which is fine. But I also want to say before we you know, start closing this out, that for, for, for me, part of why the movie hits me so hard is, is Peter specifically. Just because like, cause he's somebody that I've just always loved so much and I've just kind of, and you know, like when you grow up reading about a character so frequently, you start to kind of like internalize that character a lot. And seeing Peter B. Parker in this position where he really has lost a lot is, is a really powerful thing to witness. Yeah, can, um, sorry, and, real quick, because yeah. I'm not that familiar and maybe the audience is it. Can you explain the difference between the fat out of shape Peter Parker and then I think Peter B. Parker is the one that dies? But it, those, those two yeah. main like original looking Spider-Men, uh, can you explain the right. difference and where they came from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm laughing because like I, I also just love this like ongoing joke that he's just like kind of clearly not in shape anymore and everybody like just keeps sort of bringing it up like crazy yeah it's awesome. <laughs> crying in the shower so <laughs> peter peter b parker is the is the brunette one who has sweatpants um peter parker's middle name is ben so that's that's the he's the peter parker that we that we know um and the peter parker that is in miles's universe the one that is voiced by um uh chris pine very well might i add is uh is the spider-man of miles's universe in this thing so 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 he is he is Basically, he's Spider-Man without conflict, right? He's Spider-Man if everything had gone better mm. and if he had his shit together and if, like, if, if life had been kinder to him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's, there's clues that he's not like our Peter Parker, right? He's blonde for one thing, which is, which is something. But also just the fact that, like, that he has Peter's kind of you know, humor and confidence, but he's just really happy. Like he's really, he just like, loves every day of his job. Um, and Peter Parker doesn't complain about his job, but he doesn't love it every day. Like he's, he's tired a lot of the time, you know? Um, and so, but I also love, I, 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 I'm trying not to go on too many tangents here. I really love as, as a longtime Spider-Man fan, I loved Chris Pine's portrayal of that Peter Parker, because to me, that was like about as close to a perfect on-screen representation of the Peter Parker from the comics that I grew up reading as I've, as I've like ever seen. I just feel like they, they nailed that when he's having that one-on-one on the scaffolding and he's like, oh, see ya. And he just goes off like, like that to me, that's like, that's like adult Spider-Man to me. He's just fucking great. Going back to Miles though, um, or going back to Peter B. Parker rather, sorry. So, uh, you know, of course, Peter and MJ break up and get reunited in the comics quite you know, frequently, but we never really see what that would do to him. And I think you realize how alone he would be in that universe if she were really gone. And, and, I, and I really love how he's like, you know, older, like he's like 36, I think, in this comic. Um, he, life didn't go the way he kind of assumed it was going to be going. Part of it's because he didn't want to have kids because he didn't want to bring them into it. You know, like these are real adult situations that like the Spider-Man we read about is never in, right? In the comic continuity of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker ages one year every 10 years, roughly. So in the comics now, he's like, he's in his 30s, but he's not, you know, super, super um, up there. Uh, and, you know, they recently did this really great event where they did Spider-Man Life Story, which was a six-part series where every issue was a decade and you got to see what he was like as an old man in, you know, after September 11th and after all these different things happening in the real world. But by and large, you only really ever see Spider-Man in his like late 20s when he's like ripped and happy and everything's going great. And, and you know, life is hard, but he's strong and he can kind of handle it. But like all of us, you get out of that phase of your life and like, I mean, you get hurt. Like, like my fucking back is killing me right now, right? Like it just <laughs> becomes harder to do stuff, right? And seeing Peter in that state, but not like being dragged down by it, just being kind of depressed, uh, I think is really powerful. And, 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 I, and I love how honest he is about it. And one of my favorite things is uh, in the end when he goes back and you see him holding the picture again. And I just think that like that, that moment to me is, uh, is like one of the most, profound little moments uh, I've ever seen Peter Parker have on screen. I just love that. And I love that he goes back to the door and then he goes and tries it again. And he does it because Miles is the one that saves him too, you know, because Miles Morales has what Peter Parker has, which is this indefatigable need to bring out the best in the people around him. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And, and it's cool that, 
because of the Spider-Verse or just because of the different lines of Spider-Man comics, that there are different continuities. Like there's something for everyone. You know, it's like we appreciate Miles's character as adults and we love seeing that because it reminds us what it's like to be kids. Kids can relate to Miles. Like we can watch our kids relate to Miles because he's their age. Like, how old are your kids right. again? Yeah, so Jude is almost seven and Henry is three and a half. Okay, right. So, you know, perfect time to be getting into it. But then yeah. again, we have this mid-30s, midlife crisis, like been dumped, like getting kind of fat, Peter Parker, which most of us can relate to because we've been through stuff like that in life since we're in our mid-30s, you know? So it's really cool that there's something for everyone to relate to, I think. There really is. And there's also just like Spider-Ham, who now finally has a, uh, another ongoing comic, which is great. He, he's a character who... Like, I have no idea why he didn't take off more than he did because his original comic books are so fucking hilarious. And you want to talk about breaking the fourth wall. Like, he finds fourth walls to break that you didn't even... Like, like there are pages in Spider-Ham that are so hilarious because he will be poking his head through a page that hasn't happened yet. Like, you'll see his, like, ass sticking out at the bottom of... And, like, and like his head is through, like, a circle. And then three pages later, like, his head is on the other side of the circle. And he was, That's like, so saying hi cool. from four pages ago. And he's, like, so meta. And I love that. And he's a great fit for this movie. And, of course, 2099 being in the credits. Like, you know, we've talked about this. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. Oh, me too. Yeah. Well, like, he's love, uh, he's uh, Miguel. What's his last name? Miguel O'Hara. Right, yeah. right. And, and Mexican-Irish. Right. Okay, yeah. I remember him being a Mexican character. And... Um, not having been into comics as much as you, I just remember in the nineties when they were announcing that this, and I didn't know anything about 2099 or he, was he the first 2099 character or had they already done other things? There, there were a few, it, it started with him and okay. there was a wave of a few of others. Yeah. I know there were others, but he was the yeah. first one in like back in 95 or something like that. 92. And 92. So, yeah. but I had the opportunity to buy the first and second issue and I've kept the mint ever since, which I don't have any comics like that because I was like, someday these could be worth a lot. And then they discontinued the series and they're not worth shit. And I'm always like, God damn it. But um, <laughs> you know, I love playing the video game, the Spider-Man video game that came out a couple of years ago. Shattered, well. Shattered Dimensions, right? The one with, with him in it. Uh, no, it's oh, just you mean the PlayStation, the, the PlayStation, PlayStation one, just called oh, Spider-Man yeah. just oh, because yeah. his, his costume is in it. And it's like, I it's so mess bad. around with the other costumes, but I'm always in the 2099 costume because it's know, just it's so, so sick. So it was nice to see him at the end credits because I was a little disappointed that he wasn't one of the characters, you know? Right. Um, but it's cool. You know, if you haven't played the PlayStation game, go back and do it in the scene where they're uh, in the, what do you, that's not, that's not a spider cave, but what's that uh, area where they're all in, where they're trying to get miles to like enact his powers and he can't do it. And there's all the, in, uh, in, in the movie and in, in, in the, the movie. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, that's just that's just May's basement. I don't, I don't, it's like I don't, I don't. That's not like a thing. Yeah. Really. Okay. Right. Well, it looks kind of like the Spider Cave, right? It yeah, it's like, like the Spider Cave, the yeah. Spider-Man version of the Batcave. Anyways, and you have all his previous costumes all over the place. And if you play the Spider-Man uh, PlayStation game, you can play in all those costumes, which is really cool. Yeah. I really love those details. But um, and I also love just like the when Miles finally gets to wear it you know, when, and, and he spray paints it and it becomes his own thing. Like that, that sequence there is right up there with Rocky for me in terms of like inspirational moments in film. When he like, when he masters his powers, he goes back, he goes to save them and he's jumping off the building and the music is just exploding. And it's just, I mean, that, that shot, it, I mean, it's, it's become iconic in, in, the, in the years since the release of the film. And it's not hard to see why. It's an amazing moment when he's inverted flying downward above the city and of course you know this is i think this is behind the scenes too when they modeled that the building that he's jumping off of it actually is like three miles tall or something um and and indeed most of the architecture in the film is extreme like that because they don't have to be realistic because they're in a they're they're, they're drawing it they're animating it um and and i love that they just embrace that so he can fall for such a long time from such a height and micah actually has pointed out something beautiful about that moment that i had forgotten which is that when he lets when he doesn't actually let go of the building, he jumps and the glass is still attached to him. So like his hands didn't let go and his feet made his body jump off basically. Oh, that's cool. Like he was so reluctant to let go, but he pushed as hard as he could and he actually took the building with him. I think that's so fucking amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, we have Schreiber also, Kingpin. I, I just there's this movie has just there's just so much going on in this film um, that we're not going to be able to, to get to because we got to wrap. But I, I just I, I I can't recommend this highly enough to people. If you if you have ever been on the fence, you know I mean, by and large, it has an A plus cinema score rating, which is crazy. Uh, it, it's it's lauded by like many many people. This is not just me blabbing on a podcast. Many people say it's one of the best films of, of the century so far. 
best superhero movie of all time in many people's opinion. Many people say it's one of the great animated films ever made. And it also won an Academy Award. So I'm not just blowing hot air on this. It's, it's an extraordinary motion picture that I think um, completely redefines what a superhero movie can look and feel and sound and live like. And has influ- it basically introduced an entire generation of kids to a character uh, who is just as indelible as Peter Parker, which is saying something because I think Peter Parker is the best character created during the 20th century. Well, as usual, Patrick's a hard act to follow, especially when he's super passionate and well-versed about something. So I will close by asking you a specific Spider-Man related question because I, it came up while I was watching it and I was curious. In the original iteration of the comic book character, his feet in costume stick to walls but his, if he puts shoes on his feet no longer stick so there's lots of classic um panels of peter parker kind of uh going to a costume change but maybe he's trying to get to his costume or I forget why but often you see him with his shoes laced up and thrown over his shoulder and he's barefoot because he needs to be barefoot in order to stick to the building right so his hands and feet can stick um and i noticed especially um, Miles' character runs around on buildings with his shoes on all the time. So how do they do? I, I'm sure they've dealt with this because it's something everybody notices. So how do the different universes or iterations deal with the shoes on, shoes off thing? It's just a curiosity that I didn't know the answer to. Well, don't forget, Miles has different powers than Peter Parker too. There's, there's also the Venom Strike. You know, He also can camouflage with invisibility. So I would, I would say that the way that he sticks to buildings might be fundamentally different in some way than how Peter does it. But I also think that it's just a comic book movie and, and they can kind of do whatever they want to do with it. You know? Sure. Like I, this is not operating in a real... I mean, it's also about a multiverse with a particle collider and all this shit. So, but I, I, yeah, it's a good question. I'm not, not really sure. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious if they've addressed it even in the comics and other times because it seems like they switch that thing on and off. And so I'm like, some nerd is definitely going to call them on this. They're going to have to like deal with it. But it, it's a cool little detail. I, I just love the detail of the original one where they thought to even make Peter Parker do that because it was like sort of a, a realistic touch, which was really cool. But great. Well, then um, I, I feel like part, part of it's just that like if, if you set up, a, if, you, if you set up a, a continuity where you have to answer small questions like that too frequently, I feel like by the time you're 40 years into a comic book, you're going to get tired of drawing panels of Peter holding shoes behind his back. You know what I mean? So like at a certain point, they probably make decisions to just sort of like simplify it. But I mean, in, yeah, it's, that's, it is a really good point and I don't have an answer for you on that. Okay. I officially stumped Patrick. There you go. (laughs) Well, um, I think with that, we can wrap. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, but um, yeah, thanks. Thanks to all our patrons for joining us and everybody else who's listening. Uh, If you're interested in continuing getting these extra episodes after we stop uh, giving them out for free next month, go to um, either perfectorganism.com forward slash support or uh, bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. And you can join our Patreon there. It's only two bucks a month to get access to these episodes. And we, um, uh, we guarantee you at least two per month, sometimes more, um, but that's our average. So yeah, please join us and uh, be a part of these conversations with us. Sometimes, you know, we come out and make some posts so you guys can ask questions in advance. But um, yeah, 2001 and Moonlight will be the other two that we put out this month. So if you have questions or things you want to say about that, reach out to us. And um, yeah, Jamie says hi. Thanks, Patrick, for joining me. And we will see you guys on the next frame rate. It's a pleasure. See you guys.